Welcome to the Crafting for Profit Live podcast, where we help you craft your future by turning your passion into a paycheck. With more than 25 years of experience and a community of more than 1.5 million, we'll share proven business strategies, insights, stories, and inspiration tailored to the craft industry. You'll learn from our fellow leading industry experts so that you can use your crafts to financially support a creative life. I'm Angie. And I'm Corey. Now let's get to the episode. Hello, and welcome to Crafting for Profit Live. This is our very first episode of Crafting for Profit Live. And if you're joining us live on YouTube, you can chat, tell us where you're from, and you can also ask questions as we do this live broadcast. If you are listening later on the podcast episode, welcome as well. And we will take your questions. We do have in the show notes or the YouTube description a little form, and you can ask us your questions there. So first of all, we are going to introduce ourselves for those of you that may not know us. So Corey, you want to go first? Sure. This is going to be a little bit of a longer um, introduction than I think we normally give because this is the first episode of Crafting for Profit Live. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Corey George. My blog and YouTube channel is Hey Let's Make Stuff. I primarily focus on crafting tech. So I've got a lot of Cricut, laser, sublimation, soon to be white toner, (laughs) printer, all sorts of um, crafting tech. And I have been doing this for a long time. I quit my job 10 years ago to do this full time and I've made it work. I am a three-time craft book author. My first was called Paper Party. Second was Easy Cricut Crafts. And I have a new book called Sublimation Crafting that is coming out in April, which I'm very excited about. And personally, let's see, I love to travel. I love to be with my family. I have twin boys who are currently eight years old. They are off skiing today. I'm so happy for them. And live here in the Pacific Northwest with our absolutely enormous Bernese Mountain Dog. All right. And I am Angie Holden. So the blogger and YouTuber behind the Country Sheet Cottage. I've been on YouTube and doing a blog for like 14 years, doing it full time since 2016. So not quite as long as Corey, but almost. I live in Tennessee. I am a grandma. So if you're watching live on YouTube, I need all those comments that say you don't look like a grandma. (laughs) I have three kids, three grandkids. We live south of Nashville in Tennessee on a hundred acre farm. And I also specialize in crafting tech, all those things that Corey mentioned. And that might not surprise you if you know that my college degree is actually in engineering. So this kind of combines my two worlds together, technology plus creativity all into one. If you've been around here at all, you know that Corey and I love doing things together, including camps, you know, YouTube chats, but now we are doing Crafting for Profit Live, and this is going to be bi-weekly, so every other week, we are going to chat about things to help you turn your crafts into cash. This is going to be sort of an extension of our Crafting for Profit camp. We get so many questions, we get so many requests, and there is just not a way for us to stuff them all into a single camp in a way that you guys could actually get something out of it. So we have decided to start this video podcast. Every other Thursday, we're going to come live, we're going to answer your questions, we're going to have special guests, we're going to talk about certain topics. And then the Monday after this airs, it will turn into a podcast as well. So you'll be able to download it on all of your favorite podcasting apps and listen to it maybe during your commute or while you're doing the dishes. We're just trying to give you more ways to digest this sort of crafting for profit content. And we hope that this format works really well for even more people. Yeah. So each episode will have a theme like today's theme is tips for starting your craft business because during camp, we had tons of questions about where to start. So each time we'll have a theme when you're on the YouTube live, feel free to ask your questions, but we'll try to only answer those questions that kind of keep us on track. 
Now, once a quarter, we will have an Ask Me Anything episode where Corey and Angie both will answer any of your questions. So feel free to drop just about anything into the chat or into our form. We are going to use this format to bring you tons of great guests. So we are going to have guest speakers that are leaders in the industry to talk about tons of craft topics that relate to craft business. I think this is really exciting. I feel like it's going to give us a chance to talk about things that are maybe not such big topics that it would necessarily need a whole class at Crafty for Profit Camp or go into details about certain things, get a little bit more personal. I think it's going to be a lot of fun and I'm really excited about it. Yeah. So do we want to dive into this week's topic? I think we could probably dive into our starting a craft business tips. Okay. So if you're starting a craft business, the first thing I always want to ask people is, do you really want to sell your crafts? I think that's the first thing you need to ask yourself. I think for both of us, turning your hobby into a business is a blessing and a curse at the same time. Sometimes you don't quite enjoy the hobby as much. So I don't craft for fun as much as I used to. I'm just going to be honest. If I craft, then it is primarily for the business. I'm filming it. I'm doing an Instagram story with it. I am thinking about YouTube. I'm thinking about how I can work this into my business the entire time. So it takes a little bit of the joy out of the hobby for me. I don't know about you. Yeah, it's the same for me. I would say that even if I am crafting for personal use, I'm still like, oh, I should film this so I can make a YouTube or a Instagram reel out of it or something like that. So if I'm making something, say, for my boys for some, you know, random school holiday, I'm still like, hey, you know, let me make a reel about this or whatever. So it definitely becomes more difficult to sort of separate your hobby from your job. I mean, I guess our hobby is our job, but I do not craft nearly as much as I used to. And so I do think that's something that you really should think about. Like, are you willing to sort of give up? something that you love or let it take a back seat to your business. And then often you start this business from your home and it also invades that space and it blurs the lines almost between business and pleasure. So your time at home probably is your downtime, right? But if that work is staring you in the face the entire time, it gets a little bit more difficult to get some downtime. So you kind of had to put some measures in place to say, this is my workspace. These are my work hours. These are not and put things away. Yeah, that was a big one for me that that really made a huge difference in my own business was we were living in our last house and I had a bedroom and that was much harder to keep my space separate just because my kids were coming in and it was like they were, I don't know, it was just constantly being in the middle of the house. <laughs> the bedroom happened to be sort of in the middle of the house, the way our house was designed. So it was really hard for me to have that separation. And so here in this house, I have a much bigger separation and it has become so much easier for me to be this is work, Corey, and this is at home, Corey, and for me to turn off the work part of my brain when I'm in the house. So definitely think about that first. Do you actually want to do this? Yeah. <laughs> and if that, if that answer is yes, then the next thing we to talk about is basically don't be afraid to start. Don't overthink it. And that can be tough, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm a classic overthinker. <laughs> I mean, look at all my lists and look at all the things I want to do. And I definitely find myself overthinking a lot. Taking a big step is really hard, but thinking about it is easy. So I always come back to, for me is, gosh, I keep forgetting the name of this book. I think it's the next right thing. I really like the concept of, okay, I have this really big decision or this really big project or this really big starting a business in front of me and it's completely overwhelming. So 
what's the next right thing to do? Like, what's the, what's the next step I can take to get me one step closer on my journey? I don't have to think about every single thing, you know, and some days it might be something really small because you just don't have the brain space to think about it. And then there's some days where you have some more time set aside and you can be like, all right, I can actually take a really big bite out of this project or this, whatever you're working on. But I really like thinking about it that way, as opposed to sort of thinking about it as a, just a huge overwhelming thing. And it's almost like progress over perfection. So if you wait so long that your business is going to be perfect or that Instagram you want to start is going to be perfect, if you wait so long, then you don't make any progress. So oftentimes just starting is better than not starting at all. And I'll just say, if you head to my YouTube channel and click on those first videos, you are going to be amazed at how far I've came (laughs) in the past like 14 years. Yes, I feel like you do the best you can with what you have in the moment, right? So you could sit there and research and research and research. But if you just make a decision to, you know, whatever it is like, okay, I'm going to focus on Instagram or I'm going to make this type of project or whatever, know that you can change it. I started my first blog in 2004. So I am 20 years blogging at this point, which is crazy. And everything I used then is completely obsolete now. Everything I used 10 years ago is completely obsolete now. Things change, things morph, industries grow, all these sorts of things change. So just Thinking about it as like, I'm not necessarily locked into this forever, but it's the right choice for me to be making now is a good way to look at it too. When you're like, I really think I should be paying for this extra really big fancy service or something, but it's really hard for me to afford that. And I don't want to start at this like really low level, but maybe with the low level is fine for now. And then at some point you can change. The number of times Angie and I have changed a software or a platform, I mean that it's probably a significant percentage of what time we have spent both just trying to get to the next level. Just like selling platform, for example, like you can start anywhere and just move your stuff later. Like you can start with something simple, uh, Facebook marketplace, for instance, or Etsy, and you can always move to a more advanced, like I have a Shopify store now, but I had an Etsy store at one time. So it doesn't matter that I'm starting here. I can grow change things up over time and learn those new things. And I think that's where people get to overthinking it because they're like, I need the best. I need Shopify. And then that's a huge learning curve. If you've never had a website, you don't know how to code, opening a Shopify store can be just something that overwhelms you. And then you're like, forget it. I tend to get overwhelmed and then I'm like, forget it. I don't want to do it. Throwing it all out the window. I think too, we have to know that we can also change within our platforms as well. Does your Shopify shop look exactly like it did when you first started? Absolutely not. Mine doesn't either. I have probably 1,200 digital files in my shop, maybe even 1,500 at this point. And just last year, we went through and changed all of the terms of service on all of them. So it was a big job, <laughs> but it's it's like, okay, well, I was doing my terms of service this way before, but the industry has changed to allow commercial license for a lot of SVG files. So I should probably be offering that too. And so it was updating 1500 records. Yeah. Did it suck? Huh? <laughs> but did we do it? Yeah. Do I need to do that? Yes. Am I putting that off? Yes. <laughs> and that's okay too. <laughs> that is okay. It's a definitely one of those tasks where it's like, is this task making me more money in this moment? So wait until it's, you know, the right time to, to do those tasks. All right. So deciding what to sell. I feel like you're good at this, but I'm going to talk about one thing. I would say when you decide what to sell, be sure to think about what you're passionate about. Number one. And then number two, can you make that over and over again? So I want to tell a personal story. I started my Etsy store as something that catered to weddings. So I did all wedding type of stuff. Now, if you have been to a wedding or perhaps you have a store that caters to weddings, 
you'll know that you make hundreds and hundreds of one thing. I'm here to tell you that that is not the business for me. <laughs> I get very aggravated making hundreds of things over and over and over again. It just was not a fit for me. It wasn't something I was passionate about. And so the store did not succeed. So that's like my number one tip and sort of my personal story. I had to change completely what I was selling in order to be successful. Yeah, I think you can't be successful with something you're not personally invested in, something you're personally pas passionate about. So for me, I, if you've been around crafting for profit, you've probably heard me say this before because it's kind of one of my things. I think that niching down is really important. I think that finding your niche is important. And I know people are going to be like, but, but, but I like to make all these things and that's okay. Wait for, wait, I got something for you here. <laughs> so I think there are actually two ways to niche down. You can niche down by product type. So you can niche down by like, I'm only going to make drinkware, for example, or I'm only going to make pet products or something that's very niched down. Um, and that kind of gets you into that problem that Angie was talking about where can I make a thousand tumblers without losing my mind? I don't know. <laughs> or you can really niche down by like theme. So I'll go back to pet products because that really belongs in the second category more. If you want to make something by theme, you can probably be much more broad in what you're actually making. So if you're like, I'm going to make things for pet parents, you can make bandanas and dog dishes and tags and little t-shirts and like all these different things, but they all relate to the same customer. The same customer is coming to you to be like, okay, I want to buy a dog shirt. Oh, you got tags too, you know, and then they can add a tag. It could be basically any theme, but you really want to be looking that you're talking to a specific customer. So you're not making like true crime tumblers, dog shirts, hand-sewn pillows, and clay earrings, because like, who is that? There's no like one unified person that you're sort of talking to. But if you're making something that say everything is summer themed, I don't know, like you can make a hundred different things as long as it all looks cohesive, it all goes together, you're photographing it in a way that makes it look really, really nice on your website. I think that that's actually an easier way to niche down. Plus you get to make a bunch of different things. And then all the people who are complaining, like, I don't just want to make tumblers. I understand <laughs> you can make a bunch of different things. You just need to sort of niche down by theme instead. Yeah. And then that gives you the opportunity to expand out on your product line. Cause you can just start selling one or two of those items, see how those go over and then like build the product line from there based on that niche that Corey was talking about. So I do think people kind of jump all the way in and they start making all the things all at once. It's a lot of work, right? I need to perfect the product. I need to find the right blanks. I need to make sure that I'm putting the best product out there. And if you do that for 50 different products, that's a ton of work. And are you hitting the right mark? So maybe start a little bit smaller, a little bit more manageable. Again, don't get overwhelmed. And I get the question a lot, like how many products do I need to start a shop? I get that question a lot. And I would say start where you're at. That's my opinion. Your shop shouldn't look totally empty. So maybe five, 10 products, but I say start where you're at. Again, don't overthink it. Don't think you have to have 1200. Is that what Corey said? <laughs> I think it's 1500, but they're all digital. So it's not the same. <laughs> Corey did not start with 1200 I files. <laughs> I did not start with that many files. So yeah, I feel like that's a really good piece of advice too, because a lot of times we're like, I need to get this all set up perfectly, but maybe you don't, maybe you just need to connect with that correct buyer, right? Think about that buyer. I think that's something that we come back to so much. Like both Angie and I have an avatar that we're always talking to, <laughs> like when I'm 
writing anything, when I'm selling anything, when I'm creating anything, I have the person in my head I'm creating these for. Like for me, for those of you who know my blog, you'll know that everything I make is very bright and colorful and very modern. So if all of a sudden I was to make a bunch of mason jar crafts and that would go really nice in your country chic home, people would be like, is she okay? I just feel like really sticking to your particular brand is, is really important. Talking about that ideal customer, I feel like creating a customer avatar is super important, even from the very start. Yeah. So if you decide who is your ideal customer and like give them a name, a location, you know, what's their annual income? How much disposable income do they have? What do they buy? What stores do they shop at? What websites are they on? What social media do they like? Think about all those things. This is your ideal customer. Often it's someone in your life. My ideal customer might be modeled after someone in my life, right? And then everything you do, you should speak to that person. So act like you're speaking to that person with your product descriptions, your product listings, your social media posts, all those things can speak directly to that person. And it makes things a little bit easier when you have someone to talk to or trying to talk to everyone. <laughs> like yeah. it doesn't really work. Nobody's listening if you're trying to talk to everyone. If you're trying to talk to everyone, you're trying to talk to no one. Yeah. So having that, that avatar, I think is really important. And then... I did have perfect your product. So we talked about that a little bit. I did want to just say that a lot of times when people order from a place like Etsy or they're ordering handmade, they're often expecting something almost couture. They're expecting it to be something very special. And they're expecting to open that package and have kind of an experience. So think about that when you're thinking about your product and your packaging. It almost needs to be a little bit of an experience for the buyer in order to impress them and make them come back again. Yeah. I don't want to open up something from Etsy and it just be by itself. I want like a nice little note or like cute little ribbon. Even if you're selling in person, if you're at a craft fair, maybe you have like cute little bags that people can take their thing home with your business card and a little coupon or something like that. Just make it a little bit more personal. You know, if I'm buying something off Amazon, I'm not expecting to get that treatment, basically, that I got it from a person who I know their name and I know their shop, right? So I do feel like, yeah, adding that special touch is really important. And I think going back to perfecting our product, I feel like that is really important. I see this a lot in our Facebook group when people are like, okay, I got my sublimation printer yesterday and I have an order for 20 tumblers, <laughs> which is terrifying for me. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> let's, let's take a step back. You really want to make sure that you are giving someone a perfect product. And whether that means you have to toss a blank or two if you mess up or whatever it is, you want to give them a perfect product because the number one way you're going to start to get more business in the beginning is through referrals. I mean, we can talk all day and night about Facebook advertising, but really it's when you're starting out in a craft business, referrals are probably one of the top ways you get more business. So if you're not putting out a basically perfect product, you're not going to be getting those referrals. And I feel like really working on your product to make it your own, to make it really special is just a way to really set yourself apart from the crowd. I even recommend like if you're going to ship your product to do a test shipment. So put it in a box, package it just like you're going to package it to your customer and send it to someone you know and have them film the unboxing because you are going to be shocked at what some of those packages go through. Like you've had packages come to your house, right? And they're crumpled and they look horrible. That's what's gonna happen to your packages. So you're gonna wanna make sure that it arrives to your customer in the same condition that you put it into that box. 
yeah, I think that's really important. All right. Let's talk about deciding where to sell. This is a huge question and this is where the overwhelm comes in. It's kicking in right now with all of you. Where, where do I start selling my craft? This is so hard because there are so many places, right? There are just a lot of places that you can sell your craft. So really the two big, the two big categories, the two big buckets are going to be online or in person. Personally, I think in-person is a better place to start sometimes because you can gauge people's reactions when they see your products. You can see what they're picking up, what they're not picking up. You can see it all in person versus something on Etsy. You don't know necessarily. I mean, they have some analytics, but you don't really know what people are really drawn to and what they're not drawn to. You can't talk to people about your products. It's just a little bit more impersonal for a lot of people, maybe starting out at a small craft show or selling in a Facebook group or those sorts of things. At least my recommendation is to start there. Yeah, definitely. And I think starting small is way less overwhelming. Just start a Facebook group and invite your family and friends and encourage them to invite others. Sell on Facebook Marketplace, go to a craft fair. Starting small gives you all those insights. And then when you want to build up, I would recommend a simple platform to start. That's my opinion. So we we are going to, I'm going to just mention the T word I hear is taxes. <laughs> so sales tax is the scary part of all this. So when you start selling online, some place that does a lot of that work for you. So a place like Etsy, they do a lot of the marketing for you. They collect sales tax. They remit it to the state. They do a lot of that work for you. Now, your fees are more expensive. However, there's all those things that you don't have to think about. So you are getting a start and not having to think about all of those little minute details. And when you're selling locally too, you can really lean into that local angle. I think that um, I feel like when, I'm, when I've been to craft fairs recently, the local stuff has been selling really well. This is just a hot tip of stuff that I feel like has been selling really well. So I live here in Bellingham, Washington. We love our town, right? Like we just love living here. And so I've seen several booths with all sorts of different types of Bellingham items. And those booths are packed. So I do feel like you can really connect on somebody on a more local level as well. My mom sells purses on Etsy. So I, I come to, I come by this naturally, right? So my mom sells purses on Etsy and she also sells at craft fairs and the people who buy at craft fairs, we see them come through more than once to buy more than one purse from her because they're just getting that local interaction. They're getting to talk to her. They're getting to see what she has that's new. And while they can do that on Etsy, it's just not as personal. And then I would say, compare all those online platforms as you grow. However, not all of them are equal. Like I said, Etsy, like a lot of those do a lot of the work for you. And there's so many new players in the market. I feel your pain. I feel your overwhelm. So there's a TikTok shop. There's Amazon handmade. There are all these new players out there. I tend to recommend ones that are more established, the Etsy's. However, I could see the need and the pull for something like TikTok shop right now, like with all the viral type of things that are happening over there when they're brand new out of the gate. And I don't know, TikTok shop is still doing this, but a lot of them are reducing their listing fees or doing zero listing fees for a lot of those. If it's nothing, it doesn't cost you to try it. A lot of times I just say, just go ahead and try it. <laughs> you see one of those platforms that's going viral. They're running some kind of special with reduced or no listing fees. A lot of times I just say, jump on the bandwagon. Yeah. See what you can get. 
All right. So now do we want to talk branding? It's your favorite topic of all. I will always talk branding. <laughs> so another tidbit about me before I quit my job to do this full time, I worked in marketing. So I am all about the branding. I think branding is actually one of the best ways to set your business apart from other small craft businesses. And I think that's because we are such a visual people. They say that content is king, but no, I think visuals are king. <laughs> like nobody is going to look at something unless it's pretty. Welcome to 2024. <laughs> it's just the way it is. And so I do feel like working really hard to get your photography, especially um, your colors, you really want to have a nice cohesive look. If you start looking at different um, successful businesses on Instagram or TikTok, um, especially Instagram, you'll know, you'll see right away that they often have a very, very cohesive feel to what they're doing. They use the same colors. They use the same lighting. They use the same type of photography. I think in our brains, we're like, that person knows what she's doing, right? She knows what she's doing so I can trust her product. I think that builds brand trust to know that you can see them making the same things over and over again, doing it well. I really think that Working on those things is a really great way to invest a little bit of money into your business if you want to take a little photography course or a little photo editing course, just because we are such a visual society. So I will say here, first of all, find a name and make sure that name's not taken or that it's taken by someone else. I'm thinking about a name for something new. I just Google it, see if anyone else is using it, what comes up in the Google search results. I would definitely do that when you find like a name for your business because you don't want to have anyone else out there doing something similar, even something different, or the worst case scenario, something that you don't want to be associated with. And that's already associated with the name. Pick a name and don't overthink the name, but put some thought into it, I feel like. And then the colors I did want to add here. Don't narrow down your colors too narrow. Be sure you have at least a little bit of a variety. I feel like both Corey and I feel this pain a little bit. Like sometimes it's Christmas or, or let's say what's my worst holiday, probably Halloween. So Halloween, I kind of struggle with my color palette. So think about the kind of things you want to make and will that color palette fit like all of those things. You don't want your color palette just to be like your logo and your website. You want your color palette to move into the things you're making as well. So if you go to my Instagram account, you'll see that I use the same colors over and over and over again. At first I had no pink in my entire palette. It was all yellows and greens and blues and teals, which are my favorite colors. And shout out to my friend Cheryl, who was like, you need a pink. So I added a pink and let me tell you, Valentine's Day got a lot easier around here. And so when you're thinking about a palette, yes, you don't have to necessarily use all those colors in your logo. Like I, in my logo, I don't use the color green, but I do have a green that I use all the time. It's kind of a limey green color. So even if they're not necessarily logos that you use in your branding, you may want to be like, okay, I always use this shade of navy blue, or I always use this particular bright sunshine yellow versus like a school bus yellow or whatever it is. And you want to be using that in your products because then your photography all of a sudden looks super cohesive all the way around. And it just makes it so much easier to do your branding. And then you mentioned photography a little bit, but photography for me is absolutely like when I'm scrolling on Etsy, if I search any key terms on Etsy and I start scrolling, the best photography is always what pops out at me. So I would say work on your photography, like Corey was saying, but also things like mock-ups can really save your life. So mock-ups, if you don't know, it's kind of like faking it a little bit. So you are taking the file that you're going to use to make the shirt and you're just putting it on a shirt. So if you've already perfected your process, you've already perfected making those tumblers, you don't have to make 
a Tumblr for each like design to just list it on your website. So making a mock-up will kind of save you from doing that. So you can make a mock-up for the rest of the designs and you don't have to make one just to photograph it. All right, next up, we just talk about claiming your name. And I would recommend even if you aren't going to like say you're not interested in Instagram, go ahead and claim that name on Instagram, claim it on Facebook, claim it on the big social media sites because you don't want anyone else to claim it. So you might decide at a later date that you want to use Instagram or you just don't want someone else claiming that Instagram and putting something on it that you don't want to be associated with or, you know, like just claim it, <laughs> just claim your name <laughs> everywhere. And I would also recommend claiming the URL regardless if you're going to use it or not, because you'll probably want to use it in the future. And then also note that on places like Pinterest, Instagram, no, Pinterest, Twitter, that might be the only two now, they have a 15 character limit. Do you want to know how I know this? Because Hey, Let's Make Stuff is 16 characters. <laughs> So both on Pinterest and Twitter, I'm, hey, let's make stuff with one F and it drives me crazy. Hello, so, Angie Holden make. <laughs> Angie Holden make, right? So just as you're kind of thinking, it's just another thing to kind of keep in the back of your mind when you're coming up with a name. Can you make it short enough that it will be able to grab those handles? Thankfully, I think most social media platforms are like, this is dumb and they're making them a little bit longer now. But Pinterest, call me because I feel like we need to chat about this longer name thing. <laughs> So while I don't recommend just jumping into all the social medias, there are one thing Corey and I are very, very passionate about, and that is starting an email list. Right now, today, you started a business, you need an email list. You're selling at a craft fair, you need an email list. Like regardless, you need an email list. I completely agree. And here is why you need an email list. Your email list is not subject to an algorithm. <laughs> Instagram decides who they're going to show it to. TikTok decides who it's going to show to. You send an email, they still have to decide to open it, but it's going to be delivered. That's just huge. In this day and age, like being able to get directly in front of somebody because they chose to be there is really big. And so Angie and I have both been, we've been working on our email lists for years and it is by far my number one recommendation you can email people about new sales, new products, behind the scenes, all sorts of different things that you're doing and be consistent. That's the other recommendation. Whether you're emailing once a week, it does not have to be a lot, <laughs> but just be consistent so that people get used to seeing their, your, na their name, your name in their inbox. <laughs> yeah. And I will say like, there are places like MailChimp that are free for the first, however many, it's the same thing with email lists. You can start anywhere. So you can start on MailChimp and then move it to a different provider that offers more features, things that you need later on. So start with someone that's free for up to however many subscribers and then move it later if it's too expensive. That's my advice. All right. There were quite a few questions about registering and grabbing your name. So I'm going to answer just a few of those. So first of all, it does not cost you anything to claim names on social media. So you can create Facebook, Instagram type of things. You can grab those names for free. Doesn't cost anything. And you don't need any kind of registration to claim those. So that was kind of a few of the questions I was seeing. And someone was asking if you've already registered name with the government. So that would be like a trademark type thing. Someone else can still use it. It's your responsibility to go after them. So if you had a trademark of your name, you would have to go after that person. So it doesn't necessarily mean they can't claim it on social. All right. So now let's, do, let's get into the very fun stuff of laws, rules, regulations, and taxes. <laughs> oh, no, I have to go. I don't want to do this. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> yeah, there's just so much here to think about. And 
Angie and I are not tax professionals. We are not business coaches. We, we do not have the answer for every person and it's different for every person. And that is because you all live in different states and you all live in different cities and you all live in different counties and everywhere is different. And that's really annoying because it would be nice to say, this is the type of business you should open. Here's what you need to do, but it's just not possible. So number one piece of advice is to contact your local small business administration, your local women's business administration. I assume most of our listeners here are women. There are other tax entities that can help you out locally. I have to say the Washington Department of Revenue was actually really helpful when I was setting up tax stuff, which to me was like, I, you know, I came from California. It wasn't particularly helpful trying to get hold of the California Department of Revenue, but Washington was like, great, welcome to our state. What can we help you with? And it was just really nice to be able to be walked through everything I needed to do for setting up my business and operating taxes and those sorts of things. Yeah. And what type of business you need to be, like Corey was saying, totally depends on where you live. And I would contact like a tax professional, probably lawyer, that type of thing, because it's going to depend on a lot of different factors, what type of business you need to be. And then regulations. I did want to talk about this just a little bit because things like food, products for babies, anything you're going to sell to kids, anything that's going to be like skincare, that type of thing, it they fall under more regulations than other things do. So if you're going to sell any of those items, be sure to look under the regulations involved around those to make sure you're not breaking any laws, that type of thing. Definitely. And then another one we need to talk about, which we mentioned earlier, is taxes. So generally, you're going to need to collect taxes. I'm giving lots of generalities here because I need you to actually talk to a tax person. Generally, you will collect tax on physical products that you sell for people in your state. That's generally how it works. So if you, if here I'm selling, you know, handbags here in Washington, I will collect sales tax from people living in Washington for my handbags. Say I sold a handbag online to somebody, to a friend who lives in Florida. I do not need to collect tax on Florida until I hit a huge number of sales in Florida. So Angie and I can go into all of that as well, because we both are paying tax in other states. <laughs> but at this point, most craft businesses, it, it will take a lot of time before you get there. Yeah, but just be aware of those laws to, just to make sure that you're following those, especially as you continue to grow. I feel like first you need to worry about your own state. Here in Tennessee, I've seen at a craft fair where they walked up to the vendors and asked them how they were collecting sales tax. Like they came to the craft fair and walked around and each vendor had to prove they were collecting and remitting. So yes, start with your state. And then as your business grows, you're being successful, then go through the nightmare that is sales tax in other states. And that is why I recommend if you're selling online to start with a platform that does all that for you before, because it does get, it, it just trust us. It's a lot. It's a lot. Both Angie and I use Shopify and it's nice that Shopify will tell us how much money we've made in each state. So we know when we're supposed to start collecting sales tax, but it's still up to us to remit it. So I now have five states that I have to go to. And, and I think it's one's quarterly, one's monthly, and one's yearly, because why would it be all the same? No, it's not all the same. And I have to remit my sales tax to those states on those on their things. I had to sign up as like a, a seller in those states. If you're not collecting sales tax, you are sort of committing tax fraud. So don't do that. Yes, let, let's not do that. So our last point is to basically tackle one thing at a time. It's back to that overwhelm. And we feel you. I feel the overwhelm every single day. <laughs> I run a handmade <laughs> business and I feel it. I always advise people to tackle one thing at a time. Start small, decide like I'm, I'm going to tackle, like I 
social media is a great example. So I want to promote my stuff on social. I tackle one at a time. I tackle Instagram first, let's say. I want to start an Instagram. And I tackle it and I get used to it, get used to posting. I'm really enjoying it. And then maybe I want to add on another one and then another one. So that's one example. But just kind of make a list of things you need to do and tackle one thing at a time until you're comfortable and then move on to the next thing. And I think another tip I always have is to get rid of distractions. We live in such a distraction-filled world that there are times when Angie and I can't get a hold of each other because we both turned off all of our devices because we needed to work on something. And I'm like, Angie, I need an answer and I cannot get a hold of her. And that's, and I totally respect that because we have to get things done. And I have to say that like my four biggest distractions live in this house, my husband, my two boys, and my dog, right? I love all of them dearly. But you know, if one of my kids stubs his toe, that's a distraction. So I've had to work really hard with my husband to be like, this is mom's working time. And this is when dad's in charge, or we're going to grandma's today. Or, you know, there's lots of ways I've had to work my life to be able to get that more distraction free space so that I could tackle some of those bigger things because our brains can only do so much, right? Like being distracted makes it so much harder to say, okay, I have to sit down and figure out sales tax today. And for that, you really need to like have as much brain space as possible because without it, you're just going to sit there and flounder. And so I think carving out those times in your day, working with the other people in your life to give you that space to, to, uh, to grow your business. I know that's very hard and I'm very privileged to be able to have my parents living down the street and that my husband, I actually work full time and he stays home. So I feel like I'm very privileged in the fact that it's very easy for me now to carve out that time. But when I had two infants, it was much, much more difficult, but I still did. I still worked with all the people that I could to just kind of make sure that I was able to carve out that space to grow my business. Yeah. And don't compare yourself necessarily to others. Like all of my children are grown. I can absolutely carve out that time to work on my business. Like Corey said, it's much harder when you have younger kids. So you can't really compare yourself to others in that way because they might have a different like situation than you do. And trust me, I can remember working very late nights on my business where I don't have to do that anymore. In two weeks, our episode is with Nicole Baker and she is the ultimate talking us through overwhelm and everything. So we are going to dive deep, deep, deep into this topic in two weeks. So be sure to join us then. All right. I'm going to start showing some of these questions up on the screen. All right. The first one was the best payment method to use. And I just wanted to put this on the screen because my son is actually starting his own side hustle and I've been kind of helping him set up things and he's starting locally with other people. But he wanted to be able to accept like credit card payments. And I must say that Square was extremely easy to set up. It has an app. It was easy to set up. There was no fees to like set it up. There will be fees for payment processing. However, it was extremely easy to set up. And his stuff is more high ticket, more high dollar. And one of his things was accepting like payments for that. And they have an option for that as well. So that was one plug I just wanted to give. They are not sponsoring anything. That was just like my, <laughs> my thing with it. But I would say as many payment methods as you can have is better, um, especially in this day and age, people just don't have cash on them. When I was doing a craft fair last year in the fall, I had basically a printed out sign with, I think, four different QR codes that made it really easy for people to pay by PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, Zelle. Yeah. So I, I feel like it made it just really easy for people to pay via whatever, you know, cash like app they had. So that worked pretty well. And this next one, this says, this is a side hustle for me and not a full business. I still have my 40 hour work week. What are the smart things to remember to do while selling my items? 
this is, I think, a really huge portion of our audience, people who are like, I want to start this little thing and maybe grow it into something. But I understand it is exhausting working a 40-hour work week. I mean, I did it for years in marketing and I was running my blog on the side. I think for me, it was, again, trying to carve out the time, like trying to be like, okay, I have an hour here. I'm turning off my cell phone. This is what I'm going to get done. Like have a little list and just really being very intentional with the time that I had because it was so precious to me. And I mean, there are definitely other things we can talk about here, but I think getting the time is the first most important thing. And I feel like uh, a lot of it for both of us is prioritization. So there are things that have to get done for your business, right? So you have to get your orders out. You have to do this, right? So there's going to be the have to section of your to-do list. And then quite frankly, like things like social media and all that stuff aren't really the have tos, right? So that is the extra portion of it. So I kind of think about things in like three type of buckets. So the have tos and then the next bucket is like, I would like to get. And then the third bucket is if I have extra time. Guess how many of those if extra time get done? This is why you haven't updated your shop listings yet. <laughs> that That's on that list right there. That's on that, that's on that extra time list. But I would say that prioritization comes in clutch for me. I'm just prioritizing. And yes, I do do this full time. But even when I was doing it as a side hustle, worked up until 2016. And I was an engineer. I was a project manager. I worked at least 40 hours a week at my regular job. And then I did this whole thing on the side, YouTube videos, the whole nine yards. So I did work many late hours. But I would say the prioritization during that time was absolutely 100% key for me. And then anything you can automate. So there are a lot of things that you can automate. So as you get into the business itself and you're like, I really, really, really want to promote my stuff on social. There are a lot of tools that you can pay for that will kind of automate that for you. When you list something, it'll automatically send it out, different things like that. So you can kind of look into some of that automation as well once you build your business and get a little bit successful. Yeah. I think also when you are carving out your time, think about when you're the freshest. So I was never good working late at night. I had to get up at like 4.35 in the morning because that was my, that was my time. That was the time my brain was the most on. And I know that most people, a lot of people are nighttime workers, but like if I saved my work for the nighttime, I would never have made it this far. I was just so much better getting up really early in the morning. Finding those prime hours for me has changed my life. <laughs> so I have to, I have to work during my prime hours. My prime hours are also morning hours. So I like to do things very, very early. By the time the afternoon rolls around, I'm done. Like I, you can forget it. I'm not going to get any of those major things done. I need like those quick, easy tasks at the end of the day. I will give another tip. And this is actually something that I came up with, with Nicole, who's going to be our guest next week, because I was having a hard time prioritizing things. And so she had me write out basically everything I had to do in this giant brain dump into this terrifying document. And then we went through and prioritized things by not how important they were. It was more, how much brain space does, is this going to take? And that was kind of the key. And then she had me break them into three different kind of boxes. So I had things that took a lot of brain space, things that took some brain space and things I could do pretty easily. And then she had me color code those things. And she didn't want them color coded like red for really hard stuff, you know, green for really easy stuff, because she said that those signals in our brain are automatically saying stop to the hard stuff. So she, she's like, pick three random colors. So like my hard stuff was teal, my medium stuff was pink, and my easy stuff was yellow, right? Like the, the, they mean nothing. They're just my brand colors. And that way for me, it was so easy for me to say, okay, I have this much time. What color basket am I looking at? 
I need something really quick, but I could get something really quick done in this 15 minutes. Is there anything yellow that I could do in that amount of time that I could just check off this list? That would be great. And then, you know, sometimes I'm like, okay, I got a little bit more time. What kind of pink tasks can I check off? And then it was when I was like, okay, I'm in the zone. Let's tackle some of those teal tasks. So I found that super helpful in, yes, there are always things I have to do, right? There are things that I have to prioritize, but sometimes when I'm like, I'm not sure what I'm going to focus on today, I can look and say, how much brain do I have? Okay, I've got pink brain today. So I'm going to focus on these kind of mid-level tasks. And that's worked really well for me um, because I tend to struggle with brain fog. Yeah, I started doing that after you talked about it. And yes, it definitely helps. <laughs> it helps so much. <laughs> do we want to pause, answer some more questions after this, but do we want to talk about the coupon code? And sure. then I can put that on the screen. Sure, go ahead. Okay, so we are going to do, for those of you that perhaps did not join us for Crafting for Profit. So we do Crafting for Profit Camp, where we have a whole camp all about all these things we've been talking about, right? So it's all about the starting your business, growing your handmade business. So we did the camp. It's already February, in January. <laughs> and while those tickets are not free anymore, you can still get the all access pass. So we are going to do a flash sale on the all access pass. So right now it's at its full price. However, we're going to do a flash sale and we're going to leave that on for a week now. And you get $20 off the all access pass. It's CFP live and you can head to craftingforprofitcamp.com. We'll have the link in the show notes as well as if you're on YouTube in the description below the video. And if you are watching this video and you attend a Crafting for Profit camp and you liked it, I mean, I guess if you didn't like it, you should tell us too. Go ahead and throw that down in the comments just so that people can see that it really was a worthy endeavor. We had, I think, 23 speakers and 38 classes. I mean, it was a lot of content. Plus you get all the bonuses because it's the all access pass at this point. So it's really a great deal. We just decided, you know, let's throw this on sale for, for to celebrate the starting of our little podcast here. So if you want even more about your craft business, you haven't heard of Crafting for Profit Camp or you missed that all access pass, now's the time to get it. And now I have another question. Okay, you both have talked about your customer avatar. How do you come up with that customer? The top thing I would recommend if you're already selling your crafts is to look at who's already purchasing them. You might talk to them. If you're at a craft fair, talk to them, like talk about their background, that type of thing. Your avatar will start building in your mind. If you aren't selling at a craft fair, maybe online, do a little stalking, check them out. If it's someone like family, friends, interview them. Or if it's someone that, you know, a friend of a friend, you can maybe ask for an introduction, do an interview, talk to that person. So that's what I recommend to sort of start building that avatar. If you have a customer base already, if you've done that email list that we've talked about, you could send them a survey. You know, ask them questions on the survey to start building that avatar. That's kind of what I recommend to start. And don't be afraid to let your customer avatar shift a little bit as you kind of learn more about your business. I really want my customer avatar to be younger than she actually is. So when I look at who's buying my products, the age group is just a little bit older than I feel like I'm creating for, which I mean, it's totally fine. But in my head, I think I'm creating for somebody younger and I have to remind myself that I'm getting older. And so my customer avatar is also getting older with me. And so that is one of those things where I think my avatar like for a long time was in her 30s and now my avatar is in her 40s. <laughs> All right, next question. I know you're primarily sharing selling your items, but what about selling your skill and or teaching? That is just another handmade business. And that's like, we have both. So I have a Shopify store and I am also selling my skill, right? So I'm selling the teaching portion. And yes, you can do both. And I do, I want to put a plug here for 
I don't know if you all have seen, but Michael's has a new handmade marketplace and they actually allow you to host classes on their marketplace. And right now, because it's like introductory, they're doing kind of introductory pricing for that. So I do think that's very interesting that you could host your class there and sort of sell it from that Michael's platform. So I did want to like shout that out, but yes, I would definitely say that selling your skill, teaching that type of thing is a whole other business model, but definitely falls under the handmade business umbrella. Yeah. I would say, I mean, we've had a couple people ask, and I think I have it on the list of something to tackle in a future episode here, or maybe even at crafting for profit camp next year is doing craft nights or craft events. I have a huge space here. I have a really nice size space. And I've now had a couple neighbors say, you should do a craft night because we don't know how to use a cricket. Come teach us how to use a cricket. So I mean, I would like to meet my neighbors. It sounds nice. And so I think that that might be something that I'd be willing to do in the future is just get people in here, you know, teach them how to use a cricket and, you know, charge a small cover fee or whatever. I think that's just fun. It's fun to get to know people as well. I'm going to give a shout out for somebody that I don't think we've ever talked about on Crafting for Profit Camp, but Tabitha Sower on Instagram, she has been doing craft sewing classes. And I feel like she's a really good person to follow. So sewer, S-E-W-E-R, like she's sewing. That's literally her last name and she's selling sewing classes. So, but she has like a whole space now and she brings people in. And I feel like that is like a really good model and a really great person to follow if you have an idea of like wanting to do in-person classes. And I will, I'll give another shout out. This is Tisa on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So she sends the box of supplies to people and then she does a live where she teaches them how to make something. So I feel like that's another interesting business model is like selling the kit and then having the live where you teach them how to make whatever the kit makes. So I think that's another interesting spin on it. There are so many ways to spin it, but yes, that definitely is something that you can pursue. And starting local might be good with that as well. If you like want to get into like teaching people in that way, like with a kit. So starting local might be good with that. Find a space, see if you can get some local interest and then build from there. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. All right. And can you really make a living just selling crafts or should I plan to branch out to courses, YouTube, et cetera? It's a great question. And one that I think can go either way. There are definitely people making an income, full-time income selling crafts. I think you have to be very, very intentional about it. And you really, really have to think about your product. And I'm going to give a shout out for somebody whose name I don't even know. Angie, do you want to look on your phone really fast while I try and explain? It's the person who I said was really good at niching down the other day. Uh, her stuff appeared on my Instagram <laughs> this morning. So let me look. Okay. So there is this creator on Instagram and she was making kitchen themed shirts and things like that. She was doing okay. You know, she had her little shop and she made the cutest, I'm probably going to get one, butter themed shirt. And so it's a butter yellow sweatshirt. And then it has like the bar of butter, like it just says butter. And then it has all like the little measurements where you chop it up. So she has this on the front of a shirt and that thing went viral. I mean, it really, people were like, this is so clever. She's so niched down because she's like, I am speaking to chefs. I'm speaking to people who cook. I'm speaking to people with a sense of humor. She really had like a nice avatar, I think in her mind. And I feel like she's niched down in a way that she can definitely have a very successful business by, you know, just having these sort of food themed shirts. So can you figure out who she I is? I swear I cannot find the Instagram handle. <laughs> and I was looking at the butter shirt this morning. <laughs> the butter shirt is so cute. I'm going to see if I can look. Let her look for it for a few okay. You talk for a second. <laughs> okay. So, and, and so I would say you can make a living selling crafts. I would say to make a very good living, you would probably have to 
start thinking about adding people to your team. And that might be either way, even if you add courses in YouTube, et cetera. So I would say that when you get into that type of money, we are, you are providing for your family, that it's not just going to be you. So you are going to have a team of people. So you see Angie Holden, you see my face, you see me doing all the things, but there is a whole team of people and Crystal is in the comment section. Thank Hi, you, Crystal. Crystal. Thank you, Crystal. <laughs> Crystal is on both of our teams. So you, there's a whole team of people behind the scenes that support me and everything I do. So it is not just me. So I don't just do this alone. So I will say when you get to that level, you're probably going to have to start thinking about a team of people and sort of upping your game as far as that goes, regardless if you are making your business just selling or courses, YouTube, et cetera. And I think at some point, you know, there's like, can you bring your spouse into it or one of your kids into it to help you pack orders? That's a great way to like start having a team without having to have a team, if that makes sense. So I've, you know, my husband, he stays home, he homeschools our kids. And then I'm like, can you please help me with taxes? And so I've outsourced taxes to him because that is a huge, difficult thing for me. And he's done some other things as well. And so I think that also looking at the people around you, or maybe your bestie wants to make a little income on the side, she can come help you pack orders twice a week and you can pay her, you know, a, a decent wage for that. So I think at some point it's just going to become too overwhelming. So I did find, I did find it. Did you find her? Okay. Did. Okay. So her, her account is bakery T co. So bakery and then T E E co. And anyway, you should go check her out because I really feel like I sent this to Angie and I was like, this is the perfect example of someone who has found their niche. Like she's just really figured it out. And yes, she did have something go viral, which helps, but I will say I've been doing this for 20 years and I've never had anything go viral. I've never had a viral post. And so it is possible to do it without. All right. Next question. Suggestions on how to make backgrounds cohesive with products when taking pictures. And we're going to like pull the cover back here behind the scenes. And the secret behind making your backgrounds cohesive is poster board. <laughs> poster board, foam core board. <laughs> Truly, almost everything I shoot is with a piece of foam core. Like I have like four colors of foam core and I put everything in front of it. And yeah. then I've gotten really good at editing. So editing for me, I'll give you my like real quick editing tips. When you're thinking about editing your photos, I want you to brighten it. And then I want you to brighten it some more. And then I want you to brighten it some more. And then when you think it's too bright, maybe brighten it a little bit more because people are mostly looking at your photos on a darkened phone screen. Not many people look at their screens when they're at their full brightness and really bright photos pop. I mean, there are some businesses that can get away with having like a really moody feel. And maybe if that's you, that's totally fine. But generally you're looking at something that really pops on the screen. And so lightening and fixing your colors so that your whites are white. You can get free apps that do this so easily on your phone. I generally use my big camera and I throw everything into Adobe Lightroom. But lately, if I just need one photo, I'm like snapping it on my phone and editing it because it's actually just as nice. Yeah. Like one of the best cameras you can possibly get is probably in your hand right now. I'm just going to say that. So start where you are. You probably have a camera that is perfectly good for taking photo and video right in your hand. Research some apps. Like Corey said, there's some great free ones. I use Snapseed. It was a paid app, but it's only like $3 or $4 at the time when I paid for it and you get it for life. Adobe Lightroom is a free app on your phone and it is so robust. One of the things I really love about Adobe Lightroom is that you can edit one photo and then you select all your photos and you sync those edits to all your other photos, meaning that you don't have to edit each one individually, which is really great. All right. Amazing question. I learned in marketing classes years ago that you can't just send people emails unless they have opted in. Is this true? This is very, very true. You need people to opt into your email list. You need a way to collect email addresses. We talked a little bit about some free options. I think MailChimp has a free option. 
but they're going to have an opt-in form. So you're going to make an opt-in form. People are going to sign up and they're opting in, giving you their email address in order for you to send them emails. That also means when you send an email out through MailChimp, there's opt out so they can unsubscribe from your emails easily. These are all like regulations that you need to follow. That is why you can't just collect email addresses, type them all into Gmail and mass send an email. You do need an email provider to start your email list. All right. I am not seeing a ton more questions. So we're going to give a shout out. So I've seen tons of things in the comment section about, I love crafting for profit camp. I love the content. I love my all access pass and yay. I'm so glad. <laughs> so one more time, we are having a flash sale on the all access pass. So right now it's at its full price of $99. If you use our coupon code CFP live, you can get it for $79 right now. So it's a flash sale for a week. After that, it goes $99 and that's where it's going to stay. So if you just heard about the all access pass or you missed that pricing now's the time to get it yes and i wanted to reiterate that this video will be on both of our youtube channels after this so if you joined us late and you want to catch the beginning you can easily go back and watch that we are also turning this into a podcast which we are so excited about so we'll be taking the audio from this editing it a little bit and then releasing a podcast on monday so we'll be doing these lives every two weeks we're going to be having a bunch of really fun guests next week we are talking to nicole Holloman. You may know her as Nicole Baker. She got married recently, but she is our mindset guru. And we really wanted to start out by talking about our mindset and the way that we kind of deal with being small business owners with somebody who is just a pro at really getting our, our minds in the right place. And for those of you on YouTube, the description below this video has a few links for you. Or if you're listening on the podcast, it's in the show notes. So a couple of different links. So the first one is going to be to an email list. So you can opt in there to be informed when we are going to have these. So if you want to keep up to date on all things Crafting for Profit Live, that's where to sign up. Second link is going to be for asking us questions. We are going to do Ask Me Anything episodes, or we might incorporate your question into a future episode that we already have planned. And then, is that all? <laughs> I think we also have the link to our flash sale. That's right. We have the link to the flash sale just in case you are missing it. So if you, it's craftingforprofitcamp.com, but if you have missed that, it is in the show notes below and the um, coupon code is spelled out there as well. Yeah. And our podcast is going to be called Crafting for Profit Live as well. And it should be anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'm going to be able to stream the, the RSS feed of podcasts to yes. Apple Podcasts so, and Google Podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're joining us on YouTube and you love podcasts, subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Yeah. We hope this just gives you another way to be able to like take in our content. I know that when I was working my full-time job, a lot of the content I took in was through podcasts and audiobooks and those sorts of things because I had such a long commute. And so I learned a lot just listening when I didn't have the time to actually watch. All right. So thank you. If you joined us on the YouTube live, we enjoyed it. We hope you got something out of it and learned a little bit about starting your craft business. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Crafting for Profit Live. If you like this episode as much as we did, subscribe to our newsletter in the show notes below so you don't miss an episode. And be sure to give us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. As always, remember, your creativity can create cash. See you next time.